Hey, welcome to the Beware of the Moon podcast. My name is Hannah, and I am the owner slash host of the podcast. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about Skinamarink. Um, so, uh, mm, so I, I'll be honest, I just finished watching it. I thought about watching it last week while I was house-sitting, because I was like, oh, it'll be quiet, I can just watch the movie uninterrupted, yada yada, and I am eternally grateful that I, for whatever reason, decided not to do that. Um, Skin of a Ring is a very different sort of movie. I'm sure that there are some people who will not like it, and that's fine. Uh, it's not for everybody, I would say. It is a very experimental film. Um, so there, I, you know, I talking from personal experience, there are times when I'm like, show me a new song. I want to hear a new song. And then there are days where I'm like, I just want to listen to my favorite playlist over and over again on repeat. I don't want anything new. If you show me a new song, I'm automatically going to hate it just because. And I think we can feel that way with movies at times as well. So just from my personal experience, personal standpoint, Maybe wait until you're in a particular kind of mood. Uh, you're okay with experimental and new and um, something you've never seen before. Because I promise you that this film is something you have never seen before. Uh, spoiler free review, I will say that this movie has quite a few really good scares. Um, I do not often like sharply inhale when I'm watching a movie. But I definitely did that a couple of times in this one. Uh, it was very surprising, very shocking at times. Um, it's not very visceral, not very violent. It's uh, very psychological. So if you're into psychological horror, this is definitely one for you. Um, to put it kind of um, in simpler terms, I feel like I just was high on fever um, and then I also took LSD, and then someone somehow managed to keep me awake while they played Rorschach images in front of my eyes while also whispering to me about their own childhood traumas, and that's kind of what this movie feels like. Um, or another good example would be, um, I was just having an abstract nightmare. Um, that's probably a good way to put this movie. Um... This movie has a lot of imagined images, and it requires your full attention, basically. Like, okay, so the movie, it, it really does, like I said, it requires your full attention, um, because there's a lot happening that you're like, am I imagining it or am I not imagining it? When I was a kid, I was terrified of gremlins. Um, and I mean the movie gremlins and the gremlins from the movie gremlins. And I remember I would get afraid and then I would go into my parents' bedroom after having a nightmare and they would let me sleep in their bed. And then I would stare at their closet, which was humongous. Like their closet was so huge that the people who lived in the house next used it as an extra bedroom. That's how big their closet was. And their closet was probably the darkest part of the house at night. And so I would just sit there and stare at that darkness. And I would just stare at it and stare at it and stare at it. And my mind would just imagine if this happened. Imagine if that happened. What if this is happening and you don't even see it? And I would just be like, eh. 
parents, which is kind of, I mean, think about it, the irony of it. Going into my parents' bedroom and not be scared, but their closet freaks me out the most. It's kind of pathetic. Yeah, the uh, the irony's not lost on me. But um, this kind of feels like what this movie is. Um, and that's really all I can say um, spoiler free, I mean, honestly, this movie doesn't have much of a plot line. It doesn't have much dialogue. This movie is more of a feeling. So if you are an empathetic person, if you can put yourself in someone else's shoes, if you can kind of just dive into their reality, this movie is going to be terrifying for you. If you are a, uh, horror bro who's here to see titties and blood and lots of stabbies. Um, this is probably not your jam. Uh, the only titties you're gonna see in this movie are the ceiling titties. So, if that doesn't titillate you, um, that's not your kind of titties, <laughs> then definitely move along. Um, but, uh, and that's pretty much the spoiler-free section. I'm gonna get more into what's happening in the movie. And honestly, it's hard to describe what's happening. Because this movie feels like a hypnotist is hypnotizing a child who went through a cult field nightmare trauma and uh, the hypnotism is just taking you every which way but loose, you know? It is so strange. So the movie starts and we're kind of, um, the first 10 minutes, I won't even lie to you, we're fucking boring. Like, the first 10 minutes of this movie to me were just, I was, like, disinterested, doing other things while I have it on, you know, and I'm, this movie, and I will say, that's kind of one of its strengths, oddly enough, is that you can disengage and then come back and re-engage, and you're right in the emotional feel still, because it never, it never stops being what it is. Like, sometimes you get those emotional reprieves in movies where someone pulls out a funny one-liner, and I think there's only one funny line in this movie, the toilet disappears, which I'll, I'll explain more about that, but the toilet disappears, and the kids put buckets where the toilet was, and one of them just goes, gross. <laughs> and that's, like, the funniest thing that happens in the movie. Everything else is fucked. So, this movie, you can disengage and come back, and you're, boom, right there, um, which kind of worked out really well for me, because I was in the middle of cooking, and feeding baby goats, which is a whole story in and of itself. But, um, yeah, so I really liked that aspect of it. And then when I came back, I could just plug right back in and, uh, composite, leave, come back. We're right at the fear level I was at before. Um, first 10 minutes, like I said, are really boring. It's a lot of credits, a lot of mood setting. And I think that's really important, to be honest, with a film like this, because this film is not, like I said, it's not really much plot. It's not really dialogue. This film is a mood, <laughs> and I'm not saying that in the trendy way. I mean, like, it is its own mood, and it has its own atmosphere. And the atmosphere that it has is just this perpetual, oppressing darkness. And it's not just, like, darkness for the sake of darkness. It is so, so cool um, because you're watching it, and, like, the first ten minutes, like I said, you're like, this is fucking stupid. Like, honestly, that's what I thought. I was like, this is boring. And then the further along you get into the movie, the more you realize that, like, stuff is moving. 
in the back. And it does kind of some of this at the beginning and it makes it really obvious, but the more you're paying attention, the more your brain feels like it's playing tricks on you. Like when you're a kid and you're like looking in the dark and you think you're seeing shapes move and you're like, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm just crazy. I mean, if you've never been in darkness that is that dark before, that's this movie. This movie is exactly what it feels like to be in that kind of darkness. Like, just imagine you're out in the woods alone. You don't have a flashlight. There's no moon out tonight. You're in the middle of nowhere and you hear a noise. And that's what this movie is. And you're trying to decide if there's a bobcat out there or if maybe it was just a bunny. And you're trying to decide if those bushes are moving because of the breeze or maybe it's something coming to kill you. And this movie does a lot of that. And it's very impressive. And it's very minute at the beginning. Like, like you're watching. And I remember thinking at some point, we're watching this doorway. And I'm just like, I swear that darkness just got darker. Like, I don't know what the fuck that means or how that happened. But I swear that darkness just got darker. And you don't get to see any of the characters' faces in this movie. And I think that's fine. Um, at first I was like, what? And this movie, like I said, it's very experimental. It's very different from anything you've ever watched. Um, and that sometimes is a bad thing, but I think for this movie, it accomplishes what it set out to do. And that is be really fucking scary and experimental. And it hits both of those, I think. Um, so these kids just wake up and their parents aren't there. Uh, you know the dad was there and he says something about Kevin and Stitches and so you, you're like, you know, you, once you watch the movie, you're like, maybe this kid went through a trauma. Maybe he was in a car wreck. Maybe he had a brain tumor or something and it's causing him to hallucinate. You know, you have no idea. And this movie doesn't really give you answers and I think that lends it, like, more credit towards scary. Like, I don't need answers, but I want them, but at the same time, I don't. And it's totally good. Like, it's so fine with me that I did not understand what the fuck is happening in this movie. And it's because it sets out to be scary and it does that. Um, like I said, there are darknesses that get darker and there are objects that disappear. And at the beginning, it's very obvious. Like, you see the door disappear. You see the toilet disappear. And it's not like a fade out. It's like the lights kind of flash and then the thing isn't there anymore. And you're like, oh, well, that sucks. And so there are these kids, and you don't know how old they are. They're just young, and they are trying to figure out what's going on. And you don't, like, this movie is so disorienting. You, it's always dark. You don't really know how much time is passing, and the kids are always whispering. And I think that's an important factor. I really like that creative choice, and I think it really gives you a sense of there's something there, because these kids are just whispering, and they never explain why, and there's even a line in the movie where someone, you know, they manage to get a phone call out to 911, the little boy does, and he's like, why are you whispering? And I'm like, I realized really early on that they're whispering and that that wasn't going to stop. But, you know, there are a few things that you can kind of feel early on, and, and that's this is the style of filming they choose, which is kind of like um, maybe your parents had a camcorder in 1989 and they kept it till 1987 and that's what they're filming with. And I think that that's a really cool choice. I think it helps with just the whole atmosphere they're trying to achieve. And then you also understand that you're not going to see the characters' faces. Um, there's no like hinting at that. There's no teasing of that. And it's totally fine. 
And there's also, like, the kids are whispering this whole movie. And, like I said, that just adds a level of creepiness because you're, like, some... They can feel that someone is there. And it's clearly not their parents. Um, like, they're looking for their mom and dad, particularly their dad, because they had gone to bed and their dad was there. They wake up, he's not there. And there's no sense of time here. Which, I again, I think that just helps add to the atmosphere. You don't know how much time is passing. You don't know if it's days. You don't know if it's hours. You really have no idea. And they're watching um, Fleischer Brothers cartoons in the back, um, which I think, personally, I really love um, Matt Pat's theory. His first theory on Benny and the Ink Machine kind of shed some light on that for me personally. And so the Fleischer Brothers um, have this very specific style of cartoon where... Um, everything's kind of loosey-goosey, bodies don't really hold their shape, things can happen that are just unexpected and weird, and I think that the, the Fleischer Brothers cartoons are the perfect choice to be having in the background because of the music, because of the style, because of just who Bimbo is. Uh, um, I think that that's very important. And nothing, nothing is, like, if you watch those bimbo cartoons, the Betty Boop cartoons, you understand that, like, nothing is unexpected. Anything can happen. And so they just kind of permeate the atmosphere really well, and they kind of just support it. Um, it's a really good insulation, you could say, for this film. You know, you've got the atmosphere, you've got the plot itself, uh, is the bones, and then the, the Fleischer Brothers cartoons playing and that musical style and, and that cartoonistic styling choice is kind of just that padding to help keep the film in its own reality. And that's kind of what this film is, is it's all about its own reality. And for me, as a person with legitimate childhood traumas, and I'm not talking about my parents were mean to me, they never told me they loved me sort of stuff, which those are legitimate. I'm not saying they're not. They're just in a different reality than kids who have been attacked or hurt physically. Um, and that's kind of the category I fall into. And so as one of those kids, this movie feels very much like the nightmares I had when I was a child. It feels very much like all of those childhood fears. Um, and I did a, just a bit of research before I started filming because I literally was like, what the fuck was this movie? Because I, I have my interpretation of it and how I feel about it and how I think it is. But that could be completely different from what the filmmaker was aiming for. And he actually, he actually, I read somewhere, um, kind of asked on Reddit, what are some irrational childhood fears you have? Um, and that's kind of where the ball got rolling for this film. And I think it really does just take that, like, oppressive atmosphere of darkness that you can feel as a child and it puts it on film. Um, like I said, it's kind of like you're just sitting here looking at a Rorschach of your childhood fears and you're just interpreting them. Like, there's this part where the little girl's looking for her parents and she goes upstairs and the dad tells her to look under the bed. So she goes to look under the bed. And I literally said out loud, please don't do that. <laughs> like, I didn't know what to expect, but I was like, please don't look under the bed. That's always a fucking awful idea. Don't fucking do it. But of course she does. And to her credit, she's like, I don't see anything. And I think that that 
was scarier than anything else because she looks under there and it's pitch black. She's like, I don't see anything. And the dad tells her to look again, basically, and she does. And you're like, oh, no, there's going to be a jump scare. But this film doesn't do that. This film's jump scares are, they're, they're like, classy. Like, that's so stupid to say. But they are. It's not like, you know, like the Conjuring series. I feel like a lot of their scares are jump scares that you can see. They're very telegraphed. These jump scares are... You're being attacked by this oppressive atmosphere. You know there's something out there and you know that something has closed these kids inside this house. And then you're thinking you're seeing these things in this darkness and then something else pops up. Or you're looking at something and the light goes away and all of a sudden you see something else in the darkness and you're like, holy titties. And it just, it freaks you out. And I think that that is probably the best part about this movie. Like the biggest scares for me are you're sitting there and the voice tells Kevin to stab himself in the knife with the eye. Just kidding. Turn that around. He tells the kid to stab himself in the eye with a knife. (laughs) Excuse me. And so he does that and then you can just hear the boy crying and it sounds like a real child in pain crying and your heart just kind of drops and you're like holy shit and then it shows you just blood and you're like oh and It sounds so stupid, but the way it does it is terrifying. And then you're looking at something else and all of a sudden the lights go out and then there's a face there and you're like, holy crap. And then the lights turn back on and it's that stupid fucking telephone that we all had. If you were a kid in the 90s, you had one of those stupid fucking telephones or your friend did or the nursery at your church did or somewhere somehow you have seen that stupid fucking telephone and it is terrifying in the darkness. They made it so scary in the dark. I don't even know how they did it, but it was incredible. This movie does a lot of really neat tricks with the camera work or maybe post, you know, post-production editing. I have no idea. It's incredible. It's absolutely fabulous. Like I said, you'll be looking at the darkness and you're like, I swear the darkness just got darker. That makes no fucking sense, but the darkness just got darker. And this movie really does play with lights and lighting effects and just things moving in the darkness. And it gives you that I'm a kid in my room and it's dark. My parents forgot my nightlight, which they have at the beginning of the movie. And the nightlight gets pulled out of the socket. You know, so you you have that feeling of like, I'm a kid in the dark and all of a sudden the nightlight's out and I'm terrified. Um, And this movie, you know, I read somewhere. I don't know how credible the source is. I can't quote it for you. I can't, you know, drop a link in the description or whatever of it, but I've seen just from my cursory research that it's really kind of about those childhood fears this movie is and about those childhood kind of traumas. And as someone who has that, I find this film absolutely fascinating and it was horrifying um, because it was really accurate to what I felt as a child. Um, and like I said, this movie, if you can't get into that, if you can't put yourself in someone else's shoes and just live through their eyes and, you know, breathe their breaths, you know, be in their moment, then you, you're not going to get this film. It's not going to be good. You're not going to like it. But if you can do that and you can put yourself in four-year-old Kevin's shoes whose parents aren't around, there's this creepy voice talking to him. There's no doors or windows to his house anymore. He doesn't know how much time is passing. You know, if you can put yourself in that scenario, this movie's terrifying. And I think, too, towards the end, like, I was kind of engaged, kind of not. I was kind of watching, kind of not, up until Kaylee disappears 
And then I started being more intent on my watch. Um, by that, I mean, I was more intently focused on the film. And then what, what really got me and when I was like, oh, it's going off the rails now was when Kevin was told to stab himself in the eye. And he does. And then he calls 911. And like, of course, there are shots around the house that are different. And I think that's terrifying in and of itself for its own reasons. And it's one of those things that I can't explain to you. You're just gonna have to see it in order to understand it. Um, but then Kevin's on the phone with this 911 operator. And the 911 operator is asking him questions. And the, he's still whispering. And he's like, why are you whispering? Um, and you don't hear a response. Like, I didn't hear a response. And this is also a movie where sound design is super important and they do an amazing job with it because you're really like intent on listening because the kids are whispering and because the Fleischer cartoons are going on in the background and because there's all this weird just noise happening. You're really intent on listening and so like when you don't hear the kid respond, you're like, what the fuck, man? And then like... Sometimes there are subtitles on the screen, and I was like, did I turn on subtitles? Because they happen pretty quickly in the beginning. But no, they just have them, and they're really important. <laughs> I was super glad that they had them, because there are some things that are said that I would not have understood if, if they didn't have those subtitles. And I think because of that, like, because I know I can't hear what they're saying, and because I know what's been said because of the subtitles, and that's it, I'm like, Holy shit. Like, it just gives you a different feeling of fear. Um, like, you can, you can, like, it's just so hard to explain. If you've never been a kid in your room at night in the dark whispering to your sibling about something you heard outside or outside of your room that made a bump sound, and if you're not, like, one of those kids who has sat in the darkness and had that experience, like, you just don't understand this film the same way that, like, others of us do. Or even just if you've been a kid in your room in the dark alone and you hear a bump in the night and you're like, what the fuck was that? And you can't talk. You know, that that movie, this movie is that experience um, for adults. And it kind of brings you back to that place of being a kid and you're helpless and you're alone and you have no idea what the hell is going on. You have no idea how to fix any of it. And you don't know what, like... Oh, it's just, it's really good. And then at some point, it says, like, 572 days have passed, and you're like, what is that about? And like I said, like, you're pretty sure right from the get-go that time is kind of irrelevant in this movie. Like, it doesn't have the same rules, it feels like, like it does in reality. And so when they put that 572 days on the screen... It's not, like, I don't think it's a literal 572 days. I don't think you're counting to anything. I don't think you're counting from anything. It's just to show that this movie, like, this kid is trapped eternally. Like, it doesn't, it, this is just him in his own little hell. There's no way out. Like, it's, it's like, a very hopeless feeling. And that just makes it all the more scarier. Because you want this kid to get out. You want his sibling to get out. I mean, it's kind of too late for Kaylee, to be honest. Um, and I was thinking, jokingly, I was like, the, you know, Kevin's on the phone with the 911 operator. And all of a sudden, when he stops talking to the 911 operator, I was like, I'm telling you what, man. I feel the worst for the 911 operator. Like, we all knew Kaylee was fucked. I'm pretty sure Kevin's fucked. But that guy isn't. 
And you're like, maybe he is now. Maybe maybe it's transferred through the phone and the thing's coming after that guy's family next. Or maybe that's just, this is a phone call that's going to haunt the guy for the rest of his fucking life. Here he is just at his job trying to do work. And all of a sudden, he's got this four-year-old calling saying, I stabbed myself and my parents aren't home. The door to my house is gone. And now he has to like try and help this kid. But all of a sudden, the whispering child just stops talking to him. Like that would haunt me forever. And I'm pretty sure this 911 operator needs massive therapy after that phone call. And after that, things really, like, amp up a ton. Like, the thing that's doing this to them starts talking to Kevin directly. And he talks like, yeah, Kaylee wanted her mom and dad, so I took her mouth away because she wasn't listening. So then he gives Kevin directives and Kevin has to go do these things. And the house is flipped upside down and the world is upside down. And to me, that's all metaphorical for something. Um, You know, it's just a metaphor for how, like, you go through one thing as a kid, you're living your life as a kid, you're innocent, you're whole, you're okay, and then this traumatic event happens and all of a sudden everything is flipped upside down, everything is scary, even your own fucking house, you know, even even your own family, like, everything is terrifying to you, especially the dark, and you just you just, you try and go on and you try and make things make sense and it doesn't. And I feel like this voice is representative of whatever trauma he had. And this trauma keeps whispering at him as he's living his life, you know, and he's perpetually trapped in his four-year-old self inside that house that he lived in as a four-year-old, you know, watching those same cartoons and doing those, you know, playing with his Legos and doing the same stuff every day. And there's no time here and everything is just darkness. And, this is the kind of elevated horror that I like and it's the kind of psychological horror that I like because I've never seen, the only other movie that I've seen touch on childhood trauma this this greatly and this well and this spectacularly is Possum. Um, and I just, as someone who's gone through trauma as a child, um, I, I really appreciate it, honestly that I can point to a film and say, I want you to get out of your own head, I want you to get into this kid's head, and I want you to sit down and watch this, that's what I lived through. And that's really what it feels like. And I feel, (laughs) shout out to Kyle Edward Ball, I feel very seen by you, thank you sir. Um, I really appreciate this movie a lot because of that, and the more I sit with it and think about it, the more I like it. Um, Like, I have no script written out. Usually I have a script and I go beat by beat and all that stuff. This is just me vomiting my thoughts out because, like I said, I just watched it. And the longer I sit with it, the more I like it. Um, The scarier it is, the realer it feels. And I just think that it's such an unheard story. Like, we have so many kids. Do you know, this is an old statistic, by the way. I think this statistic was new back in like 2010, but uh, one in four children in the United States has been molested by someone. And that's just one in four who report it. Not necessarily get a conviction and that sort of thing, but just report it. And I know people in my life who were molested and they never reported it because of the fear or because of just, you know, why bother, blah, 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 you know, I was a kid, I was too young, yada, yada. And I think that it's, like I said, it's very unsung story. 
And I think that this movie nails it on the head what it feels like to be that kid and be living in that fear. You know, because there are tons of fear tactics that, you know, perpetrators and predators use in order to terrify a child. You know, they're like, I'll, co I'll come after you when you're asleep. You know, I'll come after your family, yada, yada. And so I think, you know, and even... Sorry, this is me backtracking a little bit, but they'll even say things like your family doesn't love you, blah, 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 you know, I'm the only one that cares about you, you know, just bullshit like that, that a kid would believe. And not even because there's any evidence for it, but because kids are still developing and they don't know how to logic through things on their own unless they have a really strong personality and predators specifically target kids who don't. And so you know, Kevin is in his house and he feels trapped here and he feels like it's dark here and he hears this voice calling out to him from the dark and his sister, you know, maybe his sister also went through this thing and she reacted differently. And so, you know, that, that trauma impacted her very differently. Um, maybe it's about a kidnapping victim. I mean, maybe very literally Kevin and his sister were kidnapped by someone and, that's their story. They're that kid who uh, was kidnapped and taken to someone else's home and just raised there and treated like an object because those stories do exist. And I think that this really kind of lends and like it really touches on maybe how they would have felt a little bit. Um, and those stories fascinate me. Um, the survivors do because I just like just what a strong person to be able to survive that first of all um and how incredible that they did and then also just like how does it feel like I'm so like how does it feel to be you you know because I like that I'm I'm one of those empathetic people and that's why I think this movie really it kind of hit hard for me uh, and it was really terrifying to me because it felt very real it felt like something that I had experienced before. And I'm so sorry that this kind of took a really dark turn. <laughs> it's supposed to be about a scary movie, not about real life and real horrors. But I think a lot of times horror movies reflect real things that actually happen. And I think that this is reflective of just different childhood traumas. And there are some people who have childhood traumas that are, you know, maybe they went through a car wreck. Maybe it's something like that. And then there's kids, like I said, who have gotten kidnapped and survived and lived to tell about it. And this, whatever happened to Kevin, this is kind of like his world after that trauma. And it's just, aside from being fascinating, it's terrifying. And the, like Edward Ball does an amazing job of just the atmosphere, creating something that is truly and sincerely terrifying. Because there's no adults in this film, really. And the adults that are in this film are made up by whatever the terrifying thing is. And you never, you never get to know what its name is. Like, Kevin even says, what's your name to the thing? And it never answers him. Which I was so glad because I was like, I swear, if you say some silly ass name, <laughs> you are going to feel my wrath. Because I was terrified he was going to say Skinnamarink. <laughs> and I would have been so mad. <laughs> Like, this terrifying thing is like, my name's Skinnamarink. Like, at the end, like, fuck you, man. But no, they don't do that. They they instead just keep it quiet, and then the movie ends. And, you know, Skinnamarink is really just an illusion, you know, an ode, you could say, to just nonsense. 
of the of kids, like the nonsense of kids, because kids' lives are kind of nonsensical if you think about it. You know, they don't know much. What they do know is basically what's in their head, and they're still developing. So what's in their head is not much. Um, they need a lot more experience, and they need a lot more uh, growth physically, mentally, emotionally, in order to understand their surroundings and what's happening. And so whatever has happened to Kevin is kind of a nonsense to him, like the word skinnamarink. And so now he's stuck in this terror, this nonsensical terror, and that's really what it is. It's a nonsensical terror. And I think that we need more of this. Whatever this was, we need more of it. Um, really, really great movie. I mean, like I said, the longer I sit and think about it, the more I like it. Um, this episode is kind of short just because there's no plot to talk about. The, the realist character is Kevin. You know, the villain is a nonsense villain. It doesn't exist. It doesn't have rules. You know, it literally tells Kevin, I can do anything, which again, sounds like something that a predator would say to, you know, his prey. Um, and it just, it's, it's all atmosphere. Um, and it's all in your head, basically. Like I said, you're watching the film and you're like, did that shadow move? What is that? There's one scene where a person dissolves into a lamp and you're like holy fuck they've been doing this to me on purpose this whole fucking movie and like at that point I was like mad but so impressed and I was like good for them good for them um like I said just a very different film um I really really like it I really enjoy it I don't know if I would recommend it to everyone um, just because it's a really different type of film. It's very experimental and you really have to be in the mood for something like this in order to watch it and enjoy it. Um, I mean, forever after now I'm going to enjoy it regardless of what mood I'm in. Just because, um, I got to the end and I was like, holy shit, you know, the end really kicked ass. So I have no problem going through and watching it again and I probably will to see what I missed the first watch around. Um... But it was just, it's a really good movie, really great sound design. I love the camera choices and the camera work in this movie. I like that we don't get to see the kids' faces because it kind of gives them an identity, like it kind of gives them a lack of identity, which means you can just insert any kid into that situation. And I kind of like that. I dig it. Um, and I think Edward Ball did an amazing job with this film. I can't wait to see what he does next. Like, I'll be waiting to see what he does next. Like, I'm gonna go follow him on Twitter right now if he's got one, or Instagram, or whatever the hell he has, and just wait for news of new shit to come out, because holy crap. Like, he's like, oh, it's just, just good shit, man. It's just good shit. Um, and that's pretty much it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I've got a Rumble channel now. I've got a YouTube channel now. I'm on Twitter um, Twitter is Beware the Moon Pod or at Beware Moon. And then my YouTube and my Rumble are both Beware the Moon or Beware the Moon Pod. So you can also email me at Beware the Moon Pod at gmail.com if you've got a request. And um, other than that, I think that's pretty much it. Um, I'm really excited to see Evil Dead Rise. I will not shut up about that film until I get to see it. And then when I see it, I probably won't shut up about it again for another month or two. Uh, so I apologize on that, but look forward to that when it comes out because I will be seeing it hopefully opening night. I plan on that. 
So, uh, anyway, hopefully that's not my next podcast. Hopefully I get to do one before then, but time will tell. Uh, But that's all for me. Um, Thank you guys for listening, and as always, beware the moon. (laughs) 